Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is 1049 Park Avenue! Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Hello, and welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Today, we're going to do something different. For the first time, we're actually interviewing other people. I know, Garrett, you've always, to- you've always told me, I don't care what other people think about the odd couple, only our opinion matters. <laughs> what? I said that? You've always said that to me off, off mic. I've never wanted oh, okay. to say that. But, um, but, t- but unfortunately, you're going to have to listen to what other people say today. Mm, okay. uh, so we have two interviews for you. First up is James Bradley who was uh, a big fan of season one of The Odd Couple. And he actually reached out to us to ask if he could uh, give his take and his piece on on season one, because uh, of course I'm not a fan and Garrett is a tolerates it only, but he wanted to advocate for why it actually is a, um, a good season of television. And then we talked to Lee Spielberg, who has been one of our, biggest supporters on Facebook and um, has given us a lot of information to help our podcast, especially about all the music edits. So, so we'll play those in a, in a, in a moment back to back, starting with James. But when we're talking to Lee, he brought up the fact that accidentally he brought up the fact that we completely left Eddie Garrett out of our Murray awards, which was my fault. So we're going to do a quick additional Murray award to pick our favorite Eddie Garrett appearance. Now I've, I've only had a little time to think about it, but I have one. Garrett, you instantly said you have one. I'm going to let Mine you go first. Would no question be, it's always a matter of life and death with you groupies. Oh, okay. That's right. You always, you always response to, I must see Paul Williams or I'll die. Yes. <laughs> you always did champion that line at the time. I think mine is when he walks by Oscar during let's make a deal and does the horse noises. <laughs> yes. Yes. When he, he works at the when he's playing someone who works at the newspaper. Yes. So we there's we we definitely could not should not have left Eddie Garrett out of yeah. the Murray Awards. He, you know, it's funny. I guess he the reason we didn't he he is a regular actor who appears on the show, but he unlike Phil Leeds, Louis Gus, uh, Brenda Brooke, like he never had more than a few lines, if any. He's often an, uh, unsp- a non-speaking extra. So that's a whole other category. Yeah, but it's a category. We, best we Eddie should, Garrett. We, we should needed, have had Best Eddie Garrett. <laughs> well, that's what we just did. We just did it. Yeah, we did. We're, we're adding to the Murray Awards by saying best Eddie Garrett moment. We okay. just did it. You realize we just said it, right? Oh, we were, we were taping? We're on the air? Yes, we're on the air. But what I'm saying is we should have done it. The fact that we didn't have it, and I was choosing the categories yes. that I didn't mm-hmm. put it in originally is, yes. is bad on me because I we understand. talked about him every yes. week. Yes, I understand. All right. So we've gotten that out of the way. I'm sure there's something else we've probably left out, um, although I'm surprised we didn't hear that from anyone else. Uh, but now we will turn it over to our interviews, and we'll be back again for some more Odd Couple fun in a few weeks. Goodbye. Hello. Well, today we have, uh, for the first time, we actually have a guest on the show, which we may try to do more of this summer as we uh, try to continue our delve into the Odd Couple. So James Bradley is one of the people in the Facebook group where we, uh, it's the only place we actually promote the show. 
And I think from early on, when we were very clear, or at least I was very clear about, this is Ted, about um, my dislike of season one and the fact that we really almost ignored it on the podcast, except for one episode devoted to the entire season. Uh, I think James uh, has a Facebook group about season one. Is that correct, James? That's right. It's called Fans of Season One of the Odd Couple. Well, it's a very cryptic title. If you don't know what that is about, you'll have to figure it out. And so James reached out to us and said, hey, I would love to come on and kind of talk about season one. I think we weren't using the word defend. I feel like we had a discussion about that wasn't the goal here, but it's to share why there is a group of people, which we know uh, do like season one, clearly. So just to recap, this is Ted. I'm not speaking for Garrett. Uh I'm just going to share why, and James, you can give us a little of your background, when you yeah. got into the show, whatever you want to say before you go into your discussion. But just to recap, the reason I do not like season one, I don't think it's funny. Like, I just think the dialogue is bad. I hate the laugh track, which is not true only for, I don't like MASH for many reasons, partially because of the laugh track. And I find the single camera uh execution really irritating and plus i know what season two is like and season two to the five so because of the comparison fact i just don't like it if season one was the only one that existed maybe i'll think a little more of it garrett i feel like you're not quite as anti-season one as i is that correct garrett um yeah probably um because <laughs> who could be Ted? Okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> um, no, I've always been, you know, a season one curious, you could say. Uh, but I, I sh while I would have been okay doing season one as part of the podcast, I respected your reasons uh, not to, and, and I didn't miss much of it. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned, uh, I think our last show, uh, I've enjoyed revisiting some of them for some of the wrap-up episodes we're doing. So... Uh, I'm I'm open to hear what everyone has to say here. All right, so James, why don't you talk about a little bit, like where where you, whatever history you want to give about yourself, who you are, and then how you got the odd couple and how the season one thing and why you think why you like it, I guess. Well, my profile, I think, is a, is a fairly typical one in odd couple land, given what the things I read on Facebook. Uh, I'm in my late fifties. I grew up watching reruns. <laughs> Channel Eleven. I grew up watching the reruns and WPIX. It was just an absolute staple of my childhood. That's both of us, by the way. You are us. Yeah, I mean, this is such a pop. You know, I grew up out in Long Island. It was such a big demographic uh, of, of, of odd couple fans. So I am very much like uh, the, the, the typical odd couple uh, uh, fan. And I think like like at least not like you, Ted, but I think maybe a little more like Garrett, I always kind of look down a little bit on season one as the, uh, you know, the weakest of the five seasons. And, and, and there were many episodes, it's not many, but certainly some episodes of season one I really didn't like at all. Uh, and I kind of went through a conversion when they stopped showing The Odd Couple on Channel 11, 11 o'clock at night, and was just off the air altogether. And it was never available on DVD and now we know why, because there was always this problem with the, with the copyrights and the licensing of the songs. 
Season one finally came out sometime in the late 2000s. And for a long time, that was the only odd couple that was available on DVD. So I got the DVD and that was my only exposure to the odd couple was just getting to watch season one. So I only had those episodes to watch and I really kind of fell in love with it. I really thought uh, that, that not only is it not a bad season, it's a, it's a good season. I mean, I, I can understand uh, why it doesn't have the kind of passionate fan base that it does, but I think there are many great qualities of, of season one uh, that are that are unappreciated. Uh, I think the scripts were were very witty. I think for a show that was kind of stumbling, trying to find its footing, not quite sure how loyal it wanted to remain to the movie and how it wanted to kind of go off in different directions. I think they navigated that very well. I think it had a lot of other special qualities that the other seasons lack. Now I'm not here to say it's the best of the five seasons. I can tell you as somebody who's got this Facebook group, there are people who think that. And <laughs> wow. I'm telling you, uh, I love them all, but few of them are really <laughs> crazy, okay? They, they think season one is the best. And even when I put down a few episodes, they get very angry at me. I'm not in that camp. I'm here to say it's a good season and it's an underappreciated season. I'm not here to say it's the best season. Uh, but uh, again, as someone uh, who can appreciate it, for what, it, for what it has that the other seasons didn't have. Um, I liked how it was much more of a New York centric show that it looked like a New York apartment. They had many more exterior New York scenes. They really worked New York into the scripts more, into the, to the plots more. Uh, I liked how it had much more of that kind of jazzy, Neil Hefty, Bachelor Pad soundtrack, again, which they took from the movie. Uh, they didn't have as much in the later seasons, mostly because Tony Randall hated the music so much. They had a lot more of that in season one. I did not you know that. the one camera, how you don't like it. I really do like it. And I think they were able to do a little more of the repartee, you know, with the kind of jump cuts with the back and forth uh, that has more of a quality of a screwball comedy that you, that you didn't have in the other seasons. So I really, fell in love with season one uh, in ways that I never did earlier. Uh, I found out there was a whole passionate fan base out there. So we have fun on the Facebook group about this. And uh, I guess it's pointless trying to convert Ted to my cause, but Garrett, I feel like mm. I can work on you. Mm. There's someone I, I feel... can possibly bring over <laughs> to, to my side here. Uh, I did a breakdown of all the episodes. Of the 24, I think 18 of them are good to excellent. Uh, I think 10 of them are exceptional. I think six of them are flat out terrible. And I think some of them are so bad, in fact, that they kind of weigh down <laughs> the rest of season. You know, you mentioned season one and everybody thinks of Bunny being lost in the woods and Oscar's new life when he goes to work for the Hugh Hefner type guy. And yeah, maybe maybe we can all no laugh track on what are the what are the worst ones? Yes, and no. So there are some moments, just real absolute misfires. Season one, no doubt about it. And I kind of feel like that they kind of cast a shadow over the whole season. But I want to make one point, and this point I will make until I am blue in the face. Season one is better than season five. Ooh, it is better. 
uh, it's stronger episodes, funnier episodes, and at least they have a good excuse for their misfires. They were new, they were experimenting, uh, they were trying things out. Season five was just recycling old plots, giving us lots of guest stars, and in lieu of jokes, let's just have them sing songs all the time. So I am really passionate that it's not the weakest of, uh, of the five seasons. And in fact, it's even better than, than the fifth season. Uh, so I, the things I agree with you on, yes, more New York centric show. And I do, I do part of what I, part of things I love the most in the show when they do them in seasons two through five are when they go on location. I really, I think we got, I got the most excited talking about on the podcast, trying to figure out where they were and I enjoy that. So I, I, I acknowledge that on season one and I do wish they did more of it. Um, everything else you say about it is the stuff I don't like. We'll just, I mean, it's like any TV show where people, some people like a show, but some people don't for the same reasons, so, you know, what they like about it, the other person doesn't like. Um, I obviously disagree with the season five to season one comment. As we did this podcast, I, I really, there's episodes of season five I adore. I understand what I you're saying. I adore, so I'm saying overall. I see. So what are your, so I'm curious, I think Garrett was bringing this up. What, what are the, so you think the two biggest clunkers are <laughs> Bunny and the one with John Aston? The one with John Aston, uh, the one uh, I do, I don't about the botched wedding, uh, Harvey with the, uh, trying to, with Joyce Van Patten when they're trying to, Felix ruins their wedding. Uh, the one with Clint Howard, the little boy, Oscar's becomes friends with him. That's the only it's one funny. I like. Yeah, Ted, you like. Ted voted for that and I voted for I Do, I Don't as among the best in season one. Yeah. So we can't even agree on what yes, the worst right. is on. And I, the John Aston episode, I like to watch if I have to, just because of that office is so cool. So, and Bunny, which I don't like, I do remember it so vividly on PIX. I just... I have a vivid memory of that coming on all the time and I should hate it more actually. And I don't know why I don't, I mean, not that I like it, but like, I wouldn't put those, the ones, what do you think? Let me ask you about two episodes. I distaste that can't stand to taste disdain. Okay. Thank you. The one with the Collier brothers clones. What do you think uh, about that one? That's uh, the money. What's it called? That's a Taste very good, money. that's a good example. Uh, it's not terrible for the first half, which is Philip, the Skylar with the bank office. Mm -hmm. They got Skylar. That has got to be the biggest line from, from season one. They got Skylar. Irrigation and Murray's so bad at it. Philip says to him, are you sure you're a cop? That's funny. The last third of that episode, when they, they see through the looking glass and they're in the apartments. Yeah. That is that has got to be the worst five minutes in the odd couple history. Okay, so that's a good example of things where they 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 got it. Well, they could start off well and just fall apart in the end. So yeah, we I guess we agree on that. And yeah, the Clint. It's funny because the the one episode I like the most is, is one of the ones where you like the least, which is the Clint Howard one. Well, I and, have prejudice. I think nearly all the episodes with the odd couple and children don't work. I but think you like Philip. I, the only one that I really like is the frog in season five. Oh my God. Not, he's, not, he's not even in it very much. Oh, <laughs> great scenes with Richard Stahl that make that, that episode. All right. Great. But you said you like Philip. 
Did you just yeah. say you liked the oh, episode? Yes. That that was funny. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying overall, the kids were, you know, any episode where there's an Oscar is trying to bond, trying to bond with children, I think, are the weakest. Well, what's interesting from this conversation is we've now learned it's not just season one where at least you and I disagree. And I think a little bit, Garrett, we actually disagree on kind of the oeuvre. Well, maybe. Or just well, the details. With actually, lo- let me try this question. What is your favorite episode of the entire series? Overall. Overall. You saved my life. Hands down. Okay. I yeah. love that episode. So we're a little, we're a little bit simpatico there. It's yeah. not my favorite, but I, I definitely a classic. So what are your, what are your, what's your favorite episode of season one? Uh, lovers don't make house calls when, ha- when Oscar meets Nancy. Nancy. Right. Oh, okay. That I, I, I know. that's the great episode for a number yeah. of reasons. Yeah. It's the only episode of the first season where a romance does not fall apart in the end. Everyone. Yeah. Girl at the end. Right. Uh, I think the scenes where Oscar's trying to win, trying to get field, trying to, to meet Nancy when he goes to her office and yeah, embarrassed. That's great. Beautifully yeah. done. The scene in the restaurant between Dr. Melnitz and Nancy. And yes, Nancy. yes, <laughs> yes. Classic. I mean, I, when we, Melnitz says there is hilarious. When we watch, dancing, yeah. when we did our season one recap, I remember that being, besides, actually I have a, I'm not going to say the other episode because I'm going to ask you about it. I remember that scene standing out as enjoyable to me, which yeah. is tough to do. What is your opinion? Because Garrett and I disagree very much on this. What is your opinion on the Christmas episode of season one? It's great. Garrett, it's you're great. wrong. And I hey. think, it's one, the best, I think uh, it's one of the best Christmas shows of any TV show. Well, I, 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 would, I would allow that because I hate and, most Christmas shows. Yeah, I think Garrett's got a bias against <laughs> Christmas. So I... I so we agree on that that it's yeah. I mean as much as we can uh, I enjoy the episode and I do agree there's a uh, I don't I don't know if I'd say what you said about one of the best Christmas but as Christmas episodes go uh, there is a Christmasiness to it that uh, I do think a lot of better sh- even shows that I love like Family Ties which has terrible Christmas episodes misses uh, Garrett do you have any Questions? Yeah, um, this has been fascinating. So I, um, uh, I, I, I understand a lot of what James is saying, even if I don't feel as strongly as he does. But I, first of all, I think the claim that season one is overall better or less bad than season five is not one I agree with, but I think it is a viable argument to make. I think it is uh, defensible in court, as it were. Uh, it's not an outrageous claim. Uh, I think the only reason I don't agree is I think the, there are some definitely a, a more clunkers in season five than in the other middle seasons, but um, I think the good season five episodes are better than the good season one episodes to me, or I enjoy them more. Um, but here's where, here's uh, what you made me think about, James, that uh, I think there's something about, while I prefer the, sit, <clears throat> the three-camera sitcom or live theater setup of the, class, of the, the remainder episodes, uh, there are times where the cinematic aspects of season one work and are and are interesting and do have a quality definitely that is lost and later on and um, I actually th- when I when I've been watching these again I've been impressed by I I don't think the writing is worse in season one I think there's some ideas that were just bad ideas to start with but I think in, I was amazed at how much the of the dialogue quality. And the character development, and also Randall and Klugman's performances are all there. There's yeah. so much that is already in place by season one, even when they're starting, 
that I that is really notable to me. Well, that's um, a very good point. Uh, and this is where I really want to take issue with Ted, because usually when there is a legendary show and fans are really divided about seasons, it's because characters left or they went on some plot device or, you know, Mike and Gloria move out of the house and all in the family or, you know, Niles and Daphne do it on Frasier or something like that. But season one of The Odd Couple, it's still... Tony Randall and Jack Klugman and Al Molinaro, and it's still Gary Marshall and Jerry Belson and Harvey Miller. I don't know how you can just say all this great talent was there for two through five, but season one, uh, nothing was there at all. That's that's the part that will always mystify me. So I, I, yeah. I, I don't disagree. I, I recognize they're all there. I recognize the fundamentals of the show are there. So I don't have any qualms with that, that those facts. Um, I guess it comes down to the execution. It's, it's the laugh track. Yeah. What is your opinion on the laugh track? I, I find you know, that laugh by track. By the way, Ted, I mean, maybe this is a question of both of you. Like, I wish I could swatch season one without the laugh track. Well, so, I James, that would be yeah, an experiment. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. Kind of, I'm kind of agnostic on the soundtrack. It doesn't make it funnier, it doesn't detract for me. Uh, let me just say something about along those lines. Season one of The Odd Couple is really more of a 60s show. It's got more of a 60s. Yeah, yes, that's true. Yep. Three through five clearly has got the 70s vibe yeah. to it. Everything yes. from their clothes to the apartments to the whole uh, setup of the show is much more Mary Tyler Moore, <laughs> Bob yeah. Newhart, and the yeah. first season is more My Three Sons. So yeah. I think that's, again, one of the reasons why there is such great division within the fan base that it's that season one is very G-rated, <laughs> even though their odd couple was never terribly risque. Still, those references to Miriam and having sex—that's <laughs> the kind of stuff you never would have seen in in season one. So I think that's again another one of the reasons why. And of course, the laugh track—it's it's just so. Yeah, I, I think what may, maybe makes me most angry about season one is that everything is in place, and the fact that I'm. I feel gypped out. Am I allowed to see? Can you say gypped out anymore? That's bad. It's that I am ripped off and not able to get another 24 episodes of what I like makes me angry. So I, I the talent is there. Uh, maybe the writing to me, maybe I'm being um, masked by the style and it's, and I'm not being able to pay attention to the, the, the right. Like if, if the same scripts were done in season two style of season one, maybe I would think they're funny. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. It's the style. It's the laugh track. If the, it's the 60 styles that you point out, that's absolutely correct. There's no, I can't think of a single 60s sitcom mm. that I love. I don't like Dick Van Dyke. I don't like the monkeys. It's, uh, maybe no one likes the monkeys. I don't like Beverly Hillbillies. I, I'm not it's a 60s guy. Reason. I love lousy shows. Except I like Dick <laughs> but yeah, a lot of those shows are just terrible. But they, and I mean, not that Dick Van Dyke is a 60s show, but they all, aired in it's the like, 60s you know what like season one odd couple to me feels like somewhere between brady bunch and the monsters uh, yeah well those are another two <laughs> other shows, shows that i watched yeah as a kid. i watched brady bunch as a kid don't <laughs> care about it now same with uh, monsters and adam's family yeah, which adam's i loved as a kid can't so yeah so it's the, i i think you're saying it correct james what i don't like about it is the style and whether or not the talent is there which i acknowledge factually they are uh whether or not the scripts are as good as the other seasons maybe i'm just can't go get over the style of the show. And I just, 
that it just ruins it for me. I still think they're less funny. And the concepts are even more outrageous. Like, what do you think about the, I'm going to say, I'm going to use GD. I'm sorry. What do you think about that goddamn parrot? <laughs> no, it's very funny. Your language. That's the one episode that seems to, that even season one detractors like the most, it seems. And in fact, uh, Jack Klugman has said it's the only episode from season one that he likes is Albert the Parrot. Mm. I think it's kind of <laughs> meh. I really do. Uh, I've said this before. I don't like it because Felix doesn't own a parrot. And it's not only that we never hear of this parrot ever again. It's not something that he would like. Parrots are noisy and messy. Yeah. He wouldn't like it. So I think the, the plot is very contrived. But having said that, the scenes in the funeral home, when they're, in the, when they're arguing about Oscar's trying to spend the least amount on a funeral for Albert, it, it's, it's funny. Albert and Yawbus must be in the third bathroom of the apartment. <laughs> Let me give you my, my favorite episode. I've already told you why lovers don't make house calls. Uh, the jury story, which we have not discussed, is terrific. The jury story of all the origin stories, it's the best by far. Uh, what do you say to a naked lady? I love. I love that one. This is missing. I love. I like that. I also love Engraved Trouble with the mm -hmm. gangster Bill the Green. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah. Very, I mean, with the, the guest uh, stars uh, were terrific. I loved Albert Brooks as Rudy Mandel. Yes. I only wish we had more of him. Yes. Wish he Again, came back. I right? like mm. Bill Green. Peter Bracco playing the cheesy ad executive, Mr. Whitehill, uh, <laughs> in that horror Oscar is the model, yeah. I think is just terrific. I mean, he is so hilarious when he storms into the room and he just starts insulting everybody. Hello, Madison, <laughs> I like your face, your mouth I'm not crazy about. I mean, it's just <laughs> every line out of his mouth, he starts putting down uh, Albert Brooks. He says, they can see me, you hippie freak. It's just <laughs> great, great stuff. I'm a uh, huge Albert Brooks fan and I don't, don't laugh at anything <laughs> he says on this show. And I love Albert Brooks. Yeah. Defending Your Life is one of my favorite movies. I love Albert Brooks too. Uh, no, I think he's really wonderful playing uh, I'm, I'm what's hip, I'm what's happening. Yes. And that contrast today. And yeah, that's, that whole 60s vibe is right. your, you, you did bring up something that I just find. It feels dated to me. For some reason, the it 70s. No question, it is dated. But more dated than the seven, like the seventies stuff should feel dated too. Yet yeah, it doesn't. I, I agree. Somehow with to me, something about the style makes it more dated, and and the the rest of the seasons are filmed like a uh, the, more like the sitcoms we grew up with. And also, so the reason the show changed, we know, is because I believe Tony Randall and Jack Clubman wanted the live audience feel to yeah. react to, and I think that's something missing for me. The energy that yeah. they have in the show feels very flat to me, and what they bring to the show when it became what they wanted it to be, I can feel their energy. Felix, Tony Randall's Felixisms feel very, very dull to me in season one. And it all just gets heightened and I can feel their energy. So I think that's- Let me, that's, that was let me, let me reply to that. Uh, you're right. It's, I wouldn't use the term flat. Let me just say that. I would just say different. Uh, obviously with the three camera live studio audience, they could open up the humor, you know, things like pits, 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 and my juice, 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 and Oscar chasing <laughs> Felix in the middle of the night with a newspaper. You couldn't have that in season one. So because they could open up the sets, uh, 
and again, going back to my favorite one, you know, you, you saved my life with Felix falling out the window. And again, the falling, getting sick in the kitchen sink and all of that. You couldn't do that in season one. So by opening up the sets, you could have much more physical humor. Uh, and I agree with you. They are better seasons. Uh, if I had to rank my seasons, it would be four, three, two, one, five. That Those would be my rankings of the seasons. Uh, but, but the, you don't get the kind of belly laughs in season one that you get in the other seasons, granted. But there, it's, 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 it's drier humor. It's, it's even in a way wittier. Yeah. I mean, there are so many lines that get little recognition that I think are like the one when uh, with uh, 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 I, I do, I don't about the botched wedding at the, at the rehearsal, Felix says, talking about his own wedding and says how beautiful the flower girl was. She later testified against me. <laughs> Great line when, when uh, Oscar and Felix go uh, 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 to, 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 to the, uh, uh, the florist played by uh, Richard Stahl and Felix says to Oscar, leave it to you to know a thug florist. I mean, there's, there's these episodes have lots and lots of lines like that, that of course uh, are not the legendary great lines in odd couple history, but uh, I think they're, they're very clever. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons why the show has a lot of charms that you might recognize if you could put some of your prejudices. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we can convert to it. Well, I mean, you're, you're saying the lines and I, to me, they're not funny. And this is just to me, just like I'm sure there's, if we went through a hundred sitcoms you and I watch or hundred sitcoms I watch, hundred sitcoms you want, we'll cross over on some, but not all. I don't well, find the thug- The lines better than me. <laughs> I, yeah, they're just these type, I, they don't, they're not for me. Yeah, I, I that's think, all I can say. Well, let me uh, go back to an earlier point, like Ted, when Ted, you were saying, um, you know, there's something, seems something compared to the livelier style of the later episodes or something flat of season one, I would say quiet. There's something that's oh, sure. almost like deadpan. And I think the, what different James, the kind of about vibe, it, right? It's vibe. a cinematic vibe, which is again why I would love to see them without the laugh track, because I think the deadpanness would come through. I think it could be more, it would feel like this kind of quirky deadpan show as opposed to cheesy, you know, sitcom laughter. Um, I, I think the way I would express the difference with the live audience is that, yeah, I think they are playing for the camera in season one and in, in a way that's very rich. But once they got in front of an audience, I think you just see them come alive in a different way. And the chemistry between the two actors really lights up the screen because they can yeah. be in the same frame. They can be in a, and I think, and also they're getting, of course, closer and as colleagues, as actors, you know, they're, warm, they're warming up in, in the show and getting uh, to become good friends. So their chemistry really takes off with the live audience. I think Randall probably, I, I get the sense, was even more insistent on that change than Klugman because Randall is such a creature of the theater that he wanted the, the, the permission to go big. He wanted to be more, do more physical comedy and things that didn't make as much sense uh, in the other setup. And so I do admit that I prefer watching them in this more theatrical kind of setting and it allows for more farcical physical comedy. Right. Um, here's what I'll say about something I've been wanting to say about the, the writing in season one. And again, why I think you have a good point, James, about that if you see it as more like a cinematic, I think because of that, the writing is at times kind of whimsical and kind of like there are some of the bad ideas that are guilty of this, but some of the more entertaining episodes are take a kind of uh, fantasy approach, like with the taste of money uh, or the one in the 
I'm not, I, I have mixed feelings about the, the one in the basement when they're locked in the basement. Mm-hmm. But I watched it again recently, and it's that's kind the of, pilot, isn't it? The pilot? No, no, that's no, the that's end. Not, that's no, no, not laundry, not laundry orgy. Oh, oh, the basement where the, they're all in the costumes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. And yep. do this like crazy adventure through with the Nancy's the in dumb, there, yeah, the dumb waiter. Mm. Like that is an idea that writers come up with when they have that freedom that they are not on a stage on a three camera setup that they can wander around. And I, I think those are I appreciate some of those, yeah. And it was also, that's another good example of why it's such a, a, a better New York centric season. Mm. The idea of big apartment building, yeah. locked in the basement, right. getting mugged, trying to get people's attention, dumb waiters. It's all yeah. very old fashioned New York yeah. apartment houses of that period. And, and so you really get a real flavor at that uh, you don't get in the later seasons. So if we, you know, I, I think we can start to wrap up here. If we grant the notion that these are two different shows, right? The style, the, <laughs> the season one, the season one show is a sitcom comedy I just don't like. And season two, the five are. It's just like, again, if I was comparing this to, I'm trying to think of what the odd couple season one is most like. I mean, I do, there are shows like single camera shows I like, Modern Family and The Office. Um, well, that's interesting, Ted, just as a side note, right? That it's that format has come back, came yes. back and like the- Without the laugh track. But without the, without laugh, the laugh track, track right. right. And I think um, if you watch Odd Couple without the laugh track, it might even be more like The Office, right? It could. I could see that, but for some reason, I also find their their appearance. I don't know why. The way uh-huh. they look, the way they film them, it's so close in your face. Close up, the close. I hate yeah. the close. I hate that. That's so close. I just can't stand it. I'm sorry. There's no way to convince me. It's but it's just like saying I love. Try and think of a like another sitcom. Like well, I you- let's. No, if the I, analogy is Happy Days, which is the show I never liked. But the first two episodes, first two seasons of Happy Days is. Yeah, like that, right? Camera. Right, yeah, yeah. The later episodes are, are not. Uh, so, again, I'm uh, not a fan. I can't even speak to that. But I do know Happy Days fans have a similar. So I want to end on one final question to you, James. What is your least favorite season two through five episode? Oh, the worst episode in Odd Couple history, hands down, no question about it, is the uh, the, the Greek belly dance. Oh, okay, fine. All right, let's put that aside. That's too easy. <laughs> let's take that out. Besides the Odyssey couple, what is Which your is favorite? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's almost unfair to allow that to be an answer. Besides that, do you have a, do you, maybe you're not able to identify it, your least favorite two through five episode that isn't the Odyssey couple? Okay. Uh, God, I can't stand. Or worst of season five. I can't stand. Where's grandpa? Okay. Oscar in love. Oh, Uh, I love that one. Paul, the Paul Williams. Okay. All right. So you're, you're, you're in the kind of the same general ballpark we are. I I think so. Okay. All right. Well, I think we've had a good discussion. I've enjoyed this. I was a little hesitant coming in what we would end up with, but I, I feel like you've, you've made your case very well. I think there, I understand, you've, I will say you've actually enlightened me to why people like season one, which I wasn't sure you could do, but you have. Um, it won't change my mind. I don't think that was your goal. I don't think I could change anyone's mind to dislike it. Um, so I really appreciate you oh, you volunteering here and sharing your thoughts. And I do feel like I have more of a of a understanding of the season one appeal. Garrett, anything you're, you want to- you're, you're a better person now, Ted. Just, let's just say that. Okay, fine. You, <laughs> to Ted's, didn't you didn't you grow up in this, uh, Manhattan in the seventies? Yeah. I, I would think you would have a little bit more of a pre- again because this was kind of uh, yeah. Pre- I mean, I was I'm early fifties, so I was like you know I was five when the show was ending. Yeah. Yes, I the 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 Manhattan feel 
I, I said that earlier, I do enjoy. Um, it's overshadowed by everything else I don't like. So I can't appreciate it for that. But the I, fact that you're bringing it up as a pro for it strikes a chord with me. I, here, here's, here's I, I understand it. Here's a compromise I think we can end up that I, and you were basically, this is where you were going, Ted. Like if we think of them as two separate sitcoms yeah, and uh, maybe that's the best way. And also that helps explain a lot of the inconsistencies that we've been talking about. That's right. There are no inconsistencies <laughs> in season one. <laughs> so, you know, when, you being the first when they met and all that stuff, like we can just say there's a different Felix and Oscar in season one, <laughs> a different Felix and Oscar. Out. That's why I don't, that's why I'm happy not to even include it as canon because it's oh, just yeah. separate for me for, yes. or for our discussions. Yes. I, I don't think we often went back in our, right. in our inconsistencies and pointed out season one. I think we did it sometimes, but not a lot especially because we didn't really track it. So Look, you, uh, you, you asked me one of my favorites. What are your favorites? From well, we, well, did you listen to our last <laughs> podcast? We just did a whole podcast about that. You did? Yeah. You mean the one you did earlier, the 90 minute one where you, oh, you know what? No, I didn't listen to it. Okay. That. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to not, we're not going to go through that. Let's so go listen to that. Remind listeners that. Yes. We, yeah. We just did a. Thank um, you for the plug. You've, you've got a good segue to plug our prior last episode. We did what we did, James. We took each season. We did our best five and worst five. We did talk about season one as well a little bit. Our, I think we ticked our best and worst. And then we did a wrap up of what are the best five and worst five, best five of the entire series. So go give us a download and go listen to it. I will. Okay. Well, thank you again for coming on. And um, again, I think you've 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 done your you've done your piece well. I think you've made your season one fans proud. I would say, and uh, we will. Uh, By the way, you can join the group. I will allow you to <laughs> join I, us. Appreciate it. Join, join us. I will join, let, join us. I will. I think you get a kick out of it. You're going to see a different world from yours. Trust me. I will appoint Garrett as my proxy to uh, oh. and report back. Okay. All right. Thank you, James. Thanks very much. I had a great time. Okay. Bye. Hello and welcome back. This is our second interview for our uh, first ever interview show. Uh, today we have Lee Spielberg. I said that right? You did. You want to no, do your... No relation to the famous... Wait, let him do his line. Let him do his line. What's your line, Lee? You just told us when I asked it's you how to pronounce your name. One E away from a lot of money. Um. So Lee is uh, a super fan of Odd Couple. I would argue a bigger super fan and more knowledgeable than either Garrett or I. He has been a, a fountain of information during our entire podcast. Uh, he's a member of the Facebook I Love the Odd Couple group, which is where we met him. And as soon as we started, he uh, began to send us information that we honestly didn't really know or have that has been very helpful. The most not most noticeable of those was a list of all the music edits, which allowed us, if you listen to the podcast, to uh, to go and find the TV clip version of the music edit, which we usually were able to do. So the Lee clearly knows I'm going to say more about the odd couple than we do. So we wanted Lee to have we want to have Leon and learn about basically lee has been our secret source yes that's our true deep throat if you will and uh we are now outing him <laughs> uh not that he was hidden he was right. uh he, he you do post Always i think give him credit yes so we we want to talk about your um your background where, where are you from are you a pix person where did you go to where did you first 
find the show, your history with it, why you know so much about it. And then I think we'll talk individual episodes. But before that, Lee already pointed out something very valuable to us by accident, which is that we completely left Eddie Garrett out of our uh, Murray Awards. Murray Awards. Now, I think the way we're going to do this is I think before I think uh, at the beginning of the show of this interview, you will have heard an intro from Garrett and I, and we're going to bring up an Eddie Garrett award because we need to, to go do it um, for this episode. But the reason you were going to hear this at the beginning of the episode is because Lee mentioned it as we were talking before the camera, uh, not camera. Well, we're, we're on camera we're on zoom. Okay. So let's not uh, Lee, Garrett or I talk now. Lee, tell us about your background. Tell us about your career slugger. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Uh, well, if you're looking for uh, a widely divergent uh, history from yours, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I also grew up in New York. Uh, I'm almost the same age as you guys. Uh, so I'm definitely a WPIX person. Uh, I was born about three weeks after Felix Remarries first aired on ABC. So I did not see the original uh, ABC run, but I started watching it as a kid in syndication on WPIX. Um, and, and really early, I started to watch it, I would guess about age four or five. Oh, wow. And I, I certainly didn't get everything that was going on, but somehow it spoke to me. And unlike a lot of things that spoke to me at age four or five, it's, it's continued to be relevant and I still enjoy the show and still get something out of it many, many, many years later. Now. Were you watching with a parent or by yourself? Yes. <laughs> yes. My, my parents liked the show. They had watched it during the original run. And so they would watch it when it was on in syndication. And my recollection of it is starting when it, it came on at 11 o'clock every night. Yep. I was, I was always a night owl kid <laughs> at five. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, especially before school started yeah. um, or in the summers when I didn't have to get up particularly. Oh. So I'd, I'd watch with them and uh, I, yeah, I just always liked it. And the seeing the same episodes over and over again, as it will do with kids just kind of cemented it in my mind and and again, as I got older, I got more out of it as opposed to less. So when more, so you you watched it less over time. Did that to that come turn around where you watched started watching it? No, more? no, no. I mean, I mean, I got more out of watching it. Oh, as more I got out older. of it. Sorry, more out of it, not more out. Okay, I got yeah, it. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, and in in getting more out of it, it just became more interesting to me. So it wasn't just whatever childhood things I got from sort of spending time with these pleasant characters, but I, I got the jokes and also the, the characterizations and the relationship became more real, which I think is what the show offers. And have you watched it continuously? Like, do you, have you always been, I mean, at one point it wasn't on DVD, but did you ever take a break and come back to it or have you been watching it continuously? I, I never took a long break of, of never seeing it for years at a time. Uh, certainly, I, I have not watched it every night um, in a long time, like like we used to when there was no other choice. Uh, but I, I had recorded them on VHS off of television broadcasts, so I always had them. You know, it's funny. I sorry to interject, but I you did that too. Uh, somewhere I have a box full of VHS and waiting for something like oh I don't know 
doing an odd couple <laughs> podcasts one day. And oh, then, <laughs> but of course, once we were doing this during COVID, all that stuff was in a storage locker somewhere that I uh, never was had the strength to go through and find. So, and sure, just when you needed it. it. Yeah, just when I needed it. So now I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> and and then, as you said, they came out on DVD, and that made them available in that way. But the, the VHS copy sort of took me through uh, the the interim period. So if I wanted to watch it, I could always watch it. And do you watch it now on a regular basis, or are you not? I watch it on an irregular basis. Impressive. I watch you, it as as the the feeling strikes me. And so, when did you start to document all the things you document? Which I think is more than just the music edits. I don't. If you could maybe talk about when you started to like drop this down, which is an also you're, re you're clearly researched the show. Yeah, and what did all the writers and all that? Oh well. Well, in terms of documentation, I may have misled you. Uh, the only documentation I have is what I sent you on the music edits. That's fine. Which I did because uh, when the DVDs started to come out, I was very excited because they were they were unedited. And so my whole life, I had only seen edited versions of the shows. And so I saw the, the first season from Time Life, and that was great. And then the second season came out and there were a couple of background music replacements. Um, the one I really noticed was in Speak for Yourself because they changed out Just One More Chance, oh. which actually comes up in the dialogue. But I thought, okay, the, just one little music thing. And then the third season DVDs came out and there were significant cuts where they actually cut out parts of the show. And I, I was, I, I don't remember which episode I noticed it in first because I don't think I sat down and just watched them in order. But whichever one I, I noticed first, I, then I said, oh, they're really cutting stuff out. And I started to look through them. And then when the fourth and fifth seasons came out and it was even worse, uh, I, I was on a, like a DVD uh, message board group and people were mentioning the edits and they were very, upset about them and they were trying to note which things were missing from memory and sometimes they were right and sometimes they were wrong and sometimes they were confusing episodes and I thought I really missed them so I sat down and I just went through each episode and I, I thought about what was missing and usually I could just do it from memory but I also used those yeah good thing you had those VHS copies <laughs> which did come in handy because for all the things the WPIX cut out generally they didn't cut music right so I could document that so I made that list and that's what I sent to you guys because as you got to those episodes I knew it was going to be worse and worse but you seem to know a lot of for, so document documentation aside you seem to also know a lot about the ins and outs of the show i do want to ask you a question about the edits but um have you done research have you talked to people or is it just like how do you seem to know so much about it oh i have i have mostly not done original research mostly it's just been um watching interviews um the archive of american television yeah. which i know you guys have looked at you looked at eleanor donahue's interview uh, and some other ones. Those are great. Um, reading books by people who were involved in the show. Gary Marshall has written two, which you've talked about, and Jack Klugman wrote a book uh, and some others. 
Um, there's a great interview with Lowell Gans that's on the Facebook page that they did. Yeah. Um, and just occasionally some contemporary articles that I found if I was curious um, in, in newspapers and magazines that came out at the time. And then some of the secondary books, like I, I recommended that Edward Gross book to you, which is yes, great. Thank you. And there are one or two others. Um, so no, just mostly reading things that were publicly available um, and, and watching the shows. And do you have an opinion about why a theory about, uh, uh, I, my assumption about the music edits is that Paramount didn't want to pay for the music except for the episodes where there clearly was no choice for the DVD and they just were lazy. Do you, or, or well, I or think part cheap. of it is absolutely laziness because the uh, another the one other thing I documented was the number of cases that they cut public domain songs. Yeah, and there are only about six or seven, but they did cut them, and that oh, we didn't even know that. Well, I think it came in out my regards to Broadway was one hundred percent public domain. Which one? And they cut it. Okay, my God. Oh, so but uh, but but it takes more effort to cut it. So how is that laziness? Well, because you don't want to. If you're if you're going through and you're cutting a whole bunch and you don't care, then you don't have to check the yeah. It's the easier to cut thing. them all than to look everyone up. Yeah, I, I think part of it too. The odd couple was a little unlucky because do you remember when there was the whole um, split where Viacom had to um, split Paramount and yes. CBS yep. because of antitrust stuff? Yeah. So what happened in that split was CBS got all the television property and Paramount got all the movie properties. And it was bad for the odd couple on DVD because CBS had a different philosophy than Paramount had had with DVDs, which was let's get more of it out. So they started releasing it faster, but let's cut all the music. And they did it with Cheers and they did it with other shows that they had. And if you look at the years, um, the DVD sets that came out before that split had fewer or no music replacements and edits. And the oh. DVDs for shows that came out after that oh, split came out much faster and were gutted of music. So it also may have been a, a philosophy of let's save money by cutting the music and get the DVDs out to people. So, but clearly there's episodes where somebody realizes we can't cut the music here because they have no episode to put on the show. That's right. That's right. And you pointed some of those out. Although I think the biggest disappointment with the DVDs in that regard was strike up the band or else. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard to tell that story without cocktails for two. <laughs> yes, that's right. Which we've ended up, I think, putting in because we got it off either YouTube or decades. Well, that was one of the few also that they've replaced for streaming. I think somebody may have had an attack of conscience. <laughs> oh, where the price went down because cocktails for two is back on streaming. Oh, then maybe we maybe then maybe when we did it, we didn't have that problem. There was something at we the knew end about the now we we saw the the Pernell Roberts cut it when we saw the one with the where the ending is cut out that's right. what you do you mean cocktails are two sung by pernell roberts and by tony randall yeah even earlier in the episode i think they it's gone. okay but we were using unless it wasn't on paramount plus we were using paramount plus whenever we could maybe right it and paramount plus has it restored well then 
Well, that's why I'm confused. <laughs> All right. The, well, maybe if that one's not on Paramount. The, the DVDs came out um, about 10 or 15 years ago, and they had cut all the uh, all the uses of cocktails for two then we must have used the dvd version because if it but you're saying it's on paramount plus so i'm confused yeah. well we had access to both somehow so yeah but if we i wonder if we may if it may be not on paramount plus could you be wrong on that i when it was on hulu they had restored it you watched on a hulu not on paramount plus i i, I watched for that one um, okay. Because I, I realized that some of them had been restored, like that one and our um, our fathers they restored. Oh, there were okay. there were a few. All right. Well, I'm confused on how what we did, but I guess it doesn't matter at this point. It doesn't actually matter. No. It doesn't actually matter. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's my theory. Um, also, I think the, it depended on how much the songs cost. I think some of these songs they probably had a better deal. Or they were owned by a mm -hmm. music company that yeah. Paramount has right. stock in, which oh. makes it cheaper. I didn't think about that. <laughs> um, so let's, I'm going to change the topic unless Gary, you Actually, know. Well, wait, yeah, yeah. While we're on the, this uh, potentially very boring topic. Uh, yeah, I, sorry. No, I, we love this stuff. But you mentioned the Time Life videos. Yes which uh, I had forgotten about until I came up during research of something. And what, so those were VHS tapes. Oh, well, well, that's a different thing. I was yeah. talking about when the first season came out on DVD. Oh yeah, yeah. Before uh, Paramount released it itself. Right. It was licensed to Time Life. And they issued something, it seems like the first two seasons or first, it only came out. The first one. Just the first season. Just the first season. Oh, okay. And there were no edits, no cuts, and there were a ton of bonus features. See, and then later, oh, okay. Paramount took the series back, and right. so they released their own version of right, season. Right. One. See, I want to get my hands now on the Time Life ones because I'm curious. I, I've been saying this over and over, and Ted, I don't know if you, you don't seem to share my concern, but I, I, I feel like the holy grail of Odd Couple World is the way the full episode as aired in their first run right and on abc and i feel those of us who have grown up with the show and syndication have never maybe some episodes but i think I feel most episodes have uh were further cut for syndication trimmed maybe by here and there sure. and this this became obvious to me at some point in the 90s i think where the syndication cut on pix changed like they kind of i don't know this was baffling it kind of like it felt like it was a reason to say hey new ver new restored versions but right. what they didn't tell you was that they cut they put in a two minutes by cutting two minutes somewhere else cutting and, out two minutes. and anyone who had grown up in the 70s and 80s watching this remember there were things that were missing that we remembered and there were things that we never seen before uh and all not always a, a good cut like they it felt like they were putting stuff in just because it was cut not because it was funny that was but, my experience watching them on nick at night when, uh -huh. they, when it went to Nick at Night the first time, they that, had different edits from what yeah. I remembered. Right. So I learned Felix's middle name. <laughs> oh, Wait, oh, which yeah. is Al Alan? Alex. 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 Okay. I mean, yeah, we just talked about that. that. Was a season five episode, wasn't it? Right. When he's so, make, he's recording the will, the will and that right. had always <laughs> been cut when I saw it on yeah. PIS. Right. The will scene was something that was not yeah as familiar to me. So 
I worry that maybe when like what that when they did the second round of edits, did they just throw out the old ones or do do the the full ones exist somewhere? And still waiting to be that would be the ultimate release, the ultimate final authoritative release of the full cut episodes from the with with all the music. Yeah, with all the music, right? So for the first three seasons, there's a service called Pluto TV. Yeah, yeah. And they have what you're looking for. Really? Okay. With no music edits, no changes, the whole thing, no cuts for time, but just seasons one, two, and three. And why so do you think stars. it's just? I, why do you think it's just those seasons? I don't know. I I, I, may, I may be able to. I may be able to answer that because I oh. work in TV. So there, I think the reason Pluto A can do that is they're advertising supported. So there's different sorts of rights in television. There's there's yeah. streaming SVOD we call it streaming video on demand rights, and there's AVOD rights, and AVOD rights are sometimes bleed over into the linear rights. So the fact that Pluto TV is an AVOD service, advertising supported video on demand. Uh, may give Pluto the ability to get edits with music because the rights for those music were baked in to the original syndication mm-hmm. rights. And if Pluto wants to work with Paramount to get the unedited version, they probably can is creating something special. Why they only have seasons one to three, maybe a cost issue. Maybe there's a reason four and five can't be given this. Uh, so it's unclear what that is. And it's possible there's also a window that has to expire, a contract has to expire, and they may get four and five eventually. It would be nice because it's, as you say, it's nice to see the holy grail of the uncut yes. show. Well, season three, as we said, our Murray Awards is our was my favorite. I think it was Garrett's too, ultimately. So actually, I may go watch. Yeah, I have. And, to and you know what? You know why it's also more like 1970s because it will have commercials in it. <laughs> <laughs> For better or worse, yes, you know, we've been too spoiled by all this commercial. So, Lee, the interview was so you're going to be part of a two interview show. We had an the interview that listeners are listening to this will have heard the first interview before yours, and that is James Bradley, who is the owns the season, the uh, season one odd couple Facebook page. So, let's get your opinion because I don't think we know this out. Uh, just okay. so just to set the record, I detest season one. <laughs> Garrett is a more of a middle person. I think a little take it or leave tolerate. it. I tolerate it. I tolerate it. Where do you stand on season one? Uh, so so my my intellectual property law seminar is over. Is is that what yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Sad to say. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure the fans are clicking sure. off their computers now. <laughs> um I'm I'm more in Garrett's. Uh, school of thought. I, I think it's kind of a different show. And there are episodes that I appreciate in it. I, I don't turn them off or not watch them. But if I were going to make a, a list of, of my favorite episodes, there really would only be a couple from the first season that would you know make any kind of list. Well, the fact that a couple make the list is to me a big deal. So what are those do you know what those are off the top of your head or do you not? Um, yeah, one of the ones I really liked, and, and when I say a favorite, I don't mean like a top five or 10, but I oh. mean, you know, like a like a top 25, top 30. Okay. Um, and Grave Trouble, which I know you you did not care for. Um, the one with uh, the, the watch. watch. Yeah. yeah. I like that one, yeah. Um, Louis, Louis Gus is in that no, one, no, the it's elevator. Another, it's uh, another mobster. In no, the elevator. No, no, he's not the one in the elevator. That's the trumpet players in the. Oh, elevator. that's right. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Bird, Bird, Bird. 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 B
Yes. Yeah, it's Vern. Um, I was thinking of yeah. Uh, oh yeah, Vern Rowe is. Yeah, is, yeah. Um, I I like the ones in the first season where they start to settle into the characters that they'll have eventually, and where it's a little more theatrical. And so I, I felt like uh, that one with Michael Constantine's performance was just a little more fun than most of the ones in the first season. I also kind of like uh, Lovers Don't Make House Calls, where we meet Nancy. Yeah, you like that one, Ted. Yeah, that when we that is one of oh, the James really liked that one. That, yeah, it's one of the few ones I can I can tolerate. Right. Um, those are probably my two favorites because um, I think those start to prefigure what it will become like when it gets freed up with the multi-camera setup. And what is your opinion of the laugh track in season one? Um, the laugh track itself. I mean, I do you I, find do you find that a deal breaker? Like Ted feels that that's a deal breaker, kind of. Like oh, can't watch it. No, I don't think it's it's not a deal breaker for me because there are so many shows where I'm used to it. Because um, I also, you know, almost every show in the '60s had right. a laugh track, and so I watched a lot of those. But it, but it's very obvious. It's certainly not as much of a feeling of being in an audience like when there was an actual audience. I, I, I notice it, but it's not a deal breaker. So there are episodes of season one you like better than episodes of seasons two through five. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think the Odyssey couple would really have <laughs> to I, pace everyone, for itself yes, yes. that it's better than in Grave Trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, let's remove that. Because that always comes up as the as the one that screws up the my two through five. It's the one philosophy. people love to hate. Yeah. Um, it's, but let's, it's a tough go. All right, let's let's just switch gears and talk about. Oh, wait a what, minute, wait a minute. Oh, sorry. About yeah. The laugh track because uh, this came up with James. You know, I had a. Uh, we, I asked him like you know, well, it was more asking Ted like how how would you feel if we could watch them without the laugh track, which. I, I remember that one episode, uh, Oscar's New Life, whatever they call right. it, uh, with John Aston, which we talked about a bit with James. That when that, I remember watching that without the laugh track, when they aired that without the laugh track, as that was like there were Tony, uh, Randall and Klugman like demanded want that they do it once to try it, and and I remember growing up seeing both versions in syndication somehow, and but when I I was so young that uh when i saw it without the laugh track i remember thinking wow this must be like a really serious episode this is like tragic you know it does change the tone <laughs> it very much changes the tone but it made me want now it makes me want to if i were doing my supercut garrett's supercut holy grail right. dvd collection it would have complete unedited everything with the all music and i would air season one without i take the laugh track off of season one and well that's and, what they did with mash on dvd Oh, I you didn't know choose. that. Really? That's a great, yeah. that's great to be able to choose. Yeah. I wish they did that on the, the, on the Paramount DVDs. That'd be such a no, no brainer. They I do didn't... it on Oscar's new life. Ah, because you it aired that way. With yeah. that one. I, I think they just didn't have versions of it and they didn't want to bother. I wonder on Pluto, does it have the laugh track? Do you know? I don't know that episode. You mean? That's a good yeah, question. that episode. Well, well, I'll look that up. I'll take that's that on. I, by the way, I, I also detest mash mainly because of the right. laugh track right but but honestly i'm not going to go watch it without it for other because i, <laughs> I also... think one, one of the interesting things that came out of the discussion with james is we kind of settled on a theory 
uh, that like season one or hate it, it's in, it's it's very it's like season one is very much a '60s late '60s sitcom. Yes. Rooted in that kind of Brady Bunch technique, <laughs> Mash Brady, even though Mash is later, and seasons two through five are a real '70s uh, live audience sitcom, like uh, All in the Family, Good Times, whatever. Right. I also think one of the reasons that it's harder for me to get excited in season one is that I feel like it's a very different Oscar for the most part. Tell us more about that. I feel like he's much more uh, aggressive and self-involved. He's meaner. He's meaner. He's... um, He's a little creepier with women. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of this idea <laughs> of a late 60s sort of swinging Swinger. bachelor, yeah. Yeah. very masculine type. And so yeah. you have a lot of scenes where Oscar is yelling about girls yeah. and Felix is wearing an apron. And, <laughs> Which and, is... I, and I feel like it's, it's just sort of a, a quick version of the contrast between them as opposed to the much more layered contrast that you get as the series progresses. That is so rooted in the play also in the movie. And again, like season one really is a spin-off of the movie. And I, it makes me think, it's interesting you say that because it makes me think Klugman, who, who replaced Mathau on Broadway doing the play, is basically doing the character as he is in the Neil Simon, which is a, a kind of really crass, lecherous <laughs> animal. Right. And, right, because of that scene with the pigeon sisters, yeah, where he has to and that's the way Mathau plays him. You know, is just right. really mean, and it's 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 striking when you're used to the TV show. Go back to Mathau, so I think you're absolutely right. I think Klugman finds more humanity also in the later seasons. Yeah. This explains, you know, I I've used the word detest too much, so I'm not going to keep using it. I, by the way, I, I I acknowledge Mash is a good show and it has qualities. I just don't like it. I am not a Walter Matthau fan. I was watching Charade uh, with Audrey Hepburn recently, and I turned it off because he's in it. I don't like him, <laughs> and so I think that may also tie into this whole. I don't just like his voice, and I mean, I, maybe I watch Bad News Bears. I just his whole demeanor is not appealing. They to left me. me to die. They left me to yeah, die. Even that, what just yeah, I just even your oppression of him annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that may translate to what you're saying is this, is this, yeah. the, the people you said at the beginning, uh, Lee, like it's a different show. So I just don't like that show. Just like other sixties. I just don't like a lot of sixties sitcoms. So I right. think that's what gets it to me. So let's talk and about, I think yeah. that portrayal of Oscar, it, it works differently in a two hour play or movie, right. As opposed to in a sustained way. Yeah. A whole season. Right. Right. And so you get a lot more nuance to the character and again to that relationship with Felix as they develop the characters and kind of separate from the play in the later seasons. But I do think, and I like Jack Lemmon, I do think Tony Randall brings a completely, he's not just doing Jack Lemmon. He's bringing his own spin to that, even in season one. What are your favorite episodes i you don't have to give us a top five in order or anything but like i'm curious what are or you the... can if you yes you know it fine <laughs> but what are the three to five let's do five ish episodes that really to you are the ones you could watch over and over again or love okay i think i think the flying felix is my favorite which is not an exciting answer i'm sorry <laughs> we don't uh, if you gave us something really different we, we would be surprised so i'm not looking for something unique here so right. that's fine um, I, I love that one because it's all rooted in character. Mm. 
it, the jokes are very funny and the situations are very funny and the tone is very funny. Like when, when Oscar says, it's not gonna happen in your own living room. And Felix says, <laughs> it just, it just did. did. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's, that's not a joke, yeah. it's, it's tone. But, but it comes from character. And, and that's what I think makes the show special is that like the best sitcoms, it's funny because it's about them. It's about who they are and the situations and the jokes, which are pretty constant, come out of their, their characters and their relationship. And the Flying Felix, I think is the best example of that. Um, I also, similarly, I really love The Odd Monks. Yep. Because that's not something that would play on, on another show. Right. You know, Greg and Peter Brady are not going to the <laughs> monastery and having that same plot play out. That's interesting. That's a Gary Marshall written episode. So he, yeah, it's really tailor-made to them. Yeah. Right. Um, so that, those, those are great. Um, I will give you one that I really love, which will probably surprise you because it was one that you definitely didn't like, Ted. The Frog. Um, I love The Hustler. Oh, okay. Uh, Gar I think Gary I had... like that too. I mean, it wasn't yeah. one of my favorites, but I, li yeah. I do like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, interestingly, one reason that I liked it is one reason that you specifically didn't, is that the, the turn in the middle, so that I think both halves are funny. And if you're watching the first scene, there's absolutely no way to guess where this is Yeah, right. You have no idea where this is going to But Ted, go. I think Ted just doesn't like opera episodes, so... Ah, well... <laughs> <laughs> right there there are some some hard shows yeah there. i don't i don't yeah I, if i'm going to watch i don't like opera but i don't want opera in my odd couple right. um i also i don't like made... opera in my odd couple <laughs> yeah. i love made for each other yes that's a great episode because it's beautifully low concept it's not this incredibly clever plot it's going back yeah. to the well of his ulcer but it's just funny because it's it's them being funny Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 a, there's a great guest performance in it, but that's only like seven or eight minutes. It always feels like she's a bigger part of it, but she just comes in for the one scene. Um, and, and there are some great jokes in it. It just makes yeah. me laugh probably more than almost any episode. The, the leaning tower of pizza and, <laughs> um, with the placemat. I intend to, I intend to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, that's a favorite. And uh, I really love uh, Two on the Isle. It was probably yeah. the other one I would put on the list. Uh, and what I was going to ask him about his least favorite, unless Garrett, you want to? No. I'm okay. So besides Odyssey Couple and besides <laughs> season one, what, um, what, what are ones you, are there, and are there any you actually just were like, I don't really want to watch this? If it was on, then you were flipping around. No, there aren't any I would turn off. I think in, in this era of DVD and streaming, it's more a case of, is that the one I'm going to put on? It's less likely. So what are the uh, ones you would uh, Certainly the Odyssey couple. Um, Moonlighter. Uh, which I love. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Moonlighter. I, I, I sort of like the way it starts. I like that first scene, the teaser and the first wow. scene where he goes. It was cookie. Spoon. It's cookie. <laughs> And, and then by the time they get to the studio, I just don't think it's fun anymore. 
Yeah, the part when the when he works for Felix is yeah. Well, the the, yeah. the the cow with the cow is the cow's dumb. I know right. all, and then yeah. and then where Felix goes down to the greasy spoon, and then it ends with everybody threatening everybody with meat cleavers. Oh, that's what we were just talking about with Phil Leeds as the junk, yeah, and what's her name? Bella Brock. Right, Phil Leeds and Bella Brock. I mean, they do their <laughs> best. It's Phil Leeds and Bella Brock, but it it just seems like a little more farcical than the, than they usually go for me. Um, and and then I in that interview that's on the Facebook page with Lowell Gans, I think that's where he said that they figured out after they wrapped the show and it was in post-production that what they should have done for act two was find an excuse to get Felix and the greasy spoon. Oh yeah. As the cook to help him make the money back like that, (laughs) as opposed to putting Oscar in the studio and that that would have been funnier to see Felix dealing with what was in that greasy spoon kitchen, which seems like a lovely idea, but too little too late. Um, Other ones I wasn't crazy about. Um, does your mother know you're out Rigoletto? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm on the page um, with you there. And, and that's one, you know, s- some of the opera ones I, I like better, um, because it feels more organic, but this just felt so forced to me where Oscar plays softball with Richard Fredericks <laughs> and, you know, hey, some fun of the fact, fun fact I just others. saw in, uh, you know, I've, now I'm finally really reading Bob Lissac's book, uh, which I only skimmed before we started the podcast. And uh, in that episode, turns out, like like with some other guest stars, like there was a, it was a replacement for yeah, it was another. Cheryl Mills, right? Yeah, Cheryl Mills, who wasn't of famous New York Yankee f- uh, fame on PIX. Cheryl Mills was a famous American opera singer who got famous by singing the national anthem, I think, at Yankee Stadium more than... Uh, sorry, you're saying the name too fast. Cheryl Mills? He's a man named Cheryl. What's oh, a man? Mills. Yeah. M-I-L-N-S? I believe it's E-S. M-I-L-N-E-S. I've never heard of this person. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, again, I know you you liked it a lot, and and it was so interesting hearing your take, knowing it, knowing the I Love Lucy source. Um, I never was a fan of the Hollywood story. Oh, yeah. And it made so much more sense to me when you talked about the I Love Lucy roots of it. Yeah. Because again, the the shows that I really like are the ones that seem to come from their characters, and so something that that clearly came from elsewhere. Just and now I, I knew why it felt like it didn't fit to me. And you had the feeling about the tax episode too, because it's a honeymooners uh, ripoff. No, no, because they because they change it in Act Two. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I felt like they started with with that premise and then built out from it. So that felt more fun to me. Right. That Felix has his Ralph Cramden moment early. <laughs> And yeah, then exactly. the act two is turning in Oscar to the IRS, right? Exactly. The end of the Honeymooners episode is the end of act one. Yeah. Right. But then you have uh, him ratting out Oscar <laughs> and you have that, the, the great moment of, of them trying to, of him throwing Felix out and then Felix helping him. With, with one of my favorite jokes in the whole series is uh, you cannot list your bookie as a dependent. <laughs> <laughs> I read the tax code 
If you are responsible yes. for more than 50% of the earnings <laughs> of a person, then that person is a dependent. Of course, yes. It, oh, it's uh, funny that we never get to see 52nd Street Irwin, but that's great. He's We never see Edward Crazy The great off, of, we needed yeah. a category in the Murrays, like best You're right. offstage Well, character. we knew who the winner would have been, I think. Yes, crazy, crazy Rhoda crazy Zimmerman, the Mrs. Yes. Columbo of the odd couple. Yes, <laughs> although Mrs. Columbo was eventually depicted. Yes, yes. So I'm going to... In a strange way. In a strange way. Oh, don't spoil it for me. Well, there's a there's a show called Mrs. Columbo with Kate Mulgrew. Who oh, was the way series. Too, yeah, the yeah. series. It was way too young to be Peter. It was Columbo. 23 years old. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, uh, speaking of Hollywood story, I'm just going to throw a little aside in here, which I do like. Um, I collect World Fair memorabilia and Carousel of Progress memorabilia, and I'm reading a Carousel of Progress monthly newsletters from 1965, and George Montgomery is all over them in oh, pictures that. as one of the celebrities. That's who played the, I can't remember the act, the fake actor's name in <laughs> yes, the movie. Right, right. Uh, the ball player. Yeah. Yes, uh, who played the actor playing the ball player. Right, yes. But the actor had a name. Anyway, he's all over these uh, newsletters as a celebrity at the World's Fair. Yeah. Uh, Lee, do you know what happened to Yabas? <laughs> That's one of the great mysteries. <laughs> so even you don't know. I do not know. It uh, probably jumped out the window with the frog. I, I don't know. And the parrot. <laughs> right. it, it's also funny because uh, there's the episode, I believe it's uh, the dog story, where Oscar complains that Felix would never let them get a dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. Which comes and, after the subway story. Was it filmed and written no, after? It was first. The okay. subway oh, story was filmed after. Oh, it was. Oh, okay. So maybe that's yeah. why. But but yeah, it's it's just funny how the, those things are are fluid. So, what is your opinion on the inconsistencies, which is a big hallmark of the show to fans? I, I know people on Facebook think when we bring this up, it's somehow we're nitpicking and we don't like the show because of it. But it's really it's why I want to do the podcast because it gives you something to talk about, and it's part of the maybe not the charm, but it's part of the the mythos mythic nature of the show like it's just riddled with them do you do you track them do you care does it bother you is it just do you like I it i certainly noticed them and i and i think it's instructive to see what they change because they think it will be funnier because yeah. the joke was always supreme and yeah. so what they needed yeah. for the exigencies of the particular story was always more important to them clearly than narrative consistency. So it's interesting to see what they think was worth it. Yeah. Um, the only one that ever, and, and when I say bothers me, I'm, I'm certainly not losing sleep at night, but the, the one that I think is significant that I wish they had found a way around was where they play with the timeline of who got divorced first. Yeah. And it really just comes up, I think, in A Night to Dismember and The Odd Holiday. Yeah. But where those stories require it so that it seems likely that Felix was divorced first, right? It just doesn't make sense. Which the whole idea of the show. Yeah, the premise. You have the oh. only thing you're obligated to to keep, in a way, from Neil Simon is that, as in the opening credits of the show, like on this date, Felix Hunter was kicked out of his apartment, and he shows up at Oscar's house because right. Oscar's divorced. Oscar and going alone. forward, that relationship yeah. is so much based in, I came to you in need, yeah. right. and you took me in. Yeah. And so if Felix is divorced first, 
it doesn't make any sense. Why would he come live with Oscar <laughs> if he's already divorced and living fine? It doesn't make sense. Garrett, I feel like we didn't address this. Did we address this? I think we addressed the, okay, whenever it came up, uh, we, we said, wait a minute, who, the timeline? But, but no, I don't think we addressed this philosophically. Yeah, I mean, this, this is so fundamental, what you're right. saying, Lee. Like, I don't think we hit it on the head when we, when especially at night to dismember to say, not to say they're going back and forth, but to say it can't be Felix getting divorced first. We didn't point that out. Right. And th yeah, there are ways around it. Like, you know, Gloria could be away visiting somebody, but by not saying it in that episode, yeah. Yeah. it really implies that Felix is already single. He says, oh, I'm you're solo right. tonight. Yeah. You're right, right. You're right. It's and we know implied. he got married first. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. not before he got married. You know, what's funny in the last, in Felix remarries, they, to make your, to even reinforce your point, Lee, right? That's when his, at the last scene, Felix is basically saying, like five years ago, uh, you let me in, and I need to. Right. So they're coming. They're returning to that. Uh, yeah, in that episode, though, to the play, it's important right. to who they are. In that episode, that's I noticed, and I said to Ted, it was weird when uh, in the Felix remarries the first, when he begins proposing to her again, and let's get back together. And Gloria says, like we've tried that five times already mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like when was that so well, maybe right. that was somewhere during the new year's around the new year's eve episode <laughs> there's apparently during perry mason uh some lady came up to raymond burr and said how can you win every case and raymond burr said you only see the cases i try on saturday <laughs> so maybe maybe felix and gloria tried right. to work it out in, be in between in between episodes you know, on tuesdays but so, no, I mean, that one seems significant to me because it really is contrary to what's important in the show. It doesn't really bother me that Gloria's maiden name changes and Blanche's mm -hmm. maiden name changes. And isn't it, isn't Gloria, Gloria Fleener at some point? Yes. Who yeah, was somebody then? found out that Tony Randall graduated with a high school with a girl named Fleener. That makes that's what we speculated that it had because right. there's because there's Mildred Fleener twice mentioned <laughs> in the show and Gloria Fleener. So I think a lot of these last names have to do with stuff like that. And in the Tony Randall show, he makes reference to Mildred Fleener also. Uh, he does. That's I with her. <laughs> I started watching that uh, last summer. Uh, and it, I, I, it's where he plays the judge. And I remember liking it when it was on, like it was on ABC daytime in the eighties. And uh, I did not hold up. So I did not stick with it. So I did not see the Mildred Fleener reference. There's one episode and I, I can't remember which one it is. So I can't point you to it, but he's, he's naming girls that he knew. Mm. And he says Mildred Fleener and Florence Gibbs, who was his wife. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's and so obviously that's that's coming from him. But but yeah, you know, how many windows are in the are in the living room in their apartment? <laughs> I know it's dangerous. It's the how many walls podcast, <laughs> but what address they live at? Yes. So do you believe in the canon that there is no actual move to the to another apartment since it's the same apartment in seasons two through five? So get season one. Well, I, I mean. I think it's a surreal question because I think there's no move ever because it's the same apartment Oscar had when he was single yeah. 25 years earlier. And yet what is season one? So I, I understand that I am able to uh, explain that away in the fact that it's obviously a production set change. Clearly it's done. Right. So they think a film program. So if we put that aside, because it's a necessity of the show, right. 
It is also a necessity to show that they film the exteriors elsewhere because of whatever the people of 1049 Park Avenue. Season three, I think they changed. Yeah, they're using they're using the uh, Tony Randall's building. The uh, what's it called? San Remo. They're San Remo. Right. But the fact that so these are production reasons, but the fact that that would mean to somebody that they actually lived on Central Park West, even though there's another inconsistencies where yeah. they reference living elsewhere. New car, new car. That's right, and also the Lexington Avenue Opera Club of Central. Park. Yes. <laughs> so, do you accept? My question is: Do you accept they live? So it sounds like you accept they live at 1049 Park Avenue for five seasons. I, I don't know how to answer it. <laughs> Because I, I think that is a genuine inconsistency. I'm going to take I that as a... I know that there's an in-universe way to explain that they no longer know where they live in the fourth season. <laughs> I'm going to take this as a yes, because otherwise we have to delete all our yes, episodes. Yes, it's a yes. They live at 1049. Because <laughs> where else would they be? Now, what is your thought on the very confusing Miriam-Felix relationship? Are they intimate? <laughs> Does Miriam care that he never seems to care about her really? Or is this just a friendship or are we not seeing something? I, I think they're intimate because of the two references in the last season yeah. that are pretty clear. When she says her mother is coming in yeah. the subway story. Yeah, yeah. And he says, that means we can't. And she says, <laughs> I guess not. And he says, and you were just getting over a cold. Yeah. There's really no second interpretation right. of that. Yeah. And then when he thinks that she's a spy trying to get in in the rent strike, <laughs> yes. and he says, tell me something only Miriam would know. Oh, yeah. He starts to describe what happens in the tunnel of love. Yeah. And he interrupts her and then tells her that what they do on a date is private business. Yeah. It's more than a friendship. I mean, certainly, I think there's something. Physical. It's funny that by season five, they felt the need to clarify. <laughs> but why wait just she before she leaves? Up. Yeah, right. Before. Those are the last two yes. appearances yeah. she makes. Right. And that's when they finally decide to so do that. So why isn't he more serious about her? I mean, he seems to just, is it just because he's only waiting for Gloria? But Well, I think there are two things. I think one thing is, yes, his real love is meant to be Gloria. And that's the the love story. And that's where it's always headed. And I don't think he ever stops having feelings for Gloria. So depending on your feelings of whether or not people can simultaneously really love two people at once, I I think at the very least, Miriam is always going to be in second position that way. But then also, I think there are times where they had some really good stories for Felix to fall in love. And yeah. Miriam is inconvenient for that. I was just thinking of the one with Alex Karras. Uh, right. Yeah. That was no lady. It's, it's really, and that nice is post Miriam. That's not a season two. And he no, clearly no, it's right in the middle. <laughs> and, and it's a really nice story and it would be a shame yeah. to give it right. up. So I see right. where the producers are coming from. Right. So they just never talk about it. But it does. I think the way he interacts with her indicates that he, I think he says he's falling in love with her. And I think he would be very happy married to her if he believes that Glory is not a potential. Yes. But so I guess, are we left to assume that he's just not that interested in Miriam? Yeah, I think it's more casual with Miriam. I think he's a neighbor. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's like, it's a convenient. Do you. And they do share interests. So I think it's, right. it's not, it is physical, but I don't think it's just physical because obviously they have a good time going to the opera and shows and she likes getting involved in some of his crazy schemes. Yeah. It's kind of a recognizable. Religion. What do you think she does for a living? 
you guys brought that up and I truly in 40 years had never thought about the question. It's a great question. I have no clue. They, have you found any hint? I would, I'm going to guess Rich Eris. I think she's a copywriter in an advertising agency. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's I'm, partially I'm interested. Why? Because she's so offended with Oscar about Felix's writing in uh Pen, pen is my other pencil that I feel like she is just like Oscar's offended by because that's his work. I feel like she is also as part of her work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the 70s, given her look and her youth and her appeal, I feel like that's a and she lives in New York and she could live in this apartment building by herself. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of where she would fit in. That's a that's a great idea. Let's let's get uh <laughs> Let's get Eleanor Donahue on the horn. Let's do a let's Logan do, live. Come in and uh, write it. Yeah. Let's do Eleanor. Let's do Miriam. Um, Miriam spinoff. Miriam spinoff. Yes, yeah, what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> who are you? So, who are some of your favorite celebrity guest stars and then recurring um, actors? Um, I. It's funny. I think possibly my favorite celebrity guest star show is The Pig Who Came to Dinner. Yep. In spite of the it's fact that show, I don't yeah. think either Bobby Riggs or Billie Jean King are good actors. Well, Billie Jean King is a horrific actor. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. And, and I think it's funny because the whole time, like Bobby Riggs has trouble. Like, like he has that strange stage walk that he does. Uh -huh. And you can see Randall and Klugman pushing him around the stage. So <laughs> Really? I did not on. notice any of that. Did we talk yet, about that? When no. Billie Jean King comes on, He's like Lord Olivier. <laughs> Wait, this I don't remember. I have to go back. He they push him. He can't walk. Yeah, he he's he's not sure where the marks are. I think Lee is saying that he det he detects that Bobby Riggs is a little uncertain of himself on the stage. Did you like, detect that, Gary? No, I didn't know, but I was probably watching it on my phone and. <laughs> There's a lot of details like all that. right. I may have to go back and watch that episode. Uh, I mean, yeah. and and you know, also some of it is just interpretation, like you, you know, you believe it or you don't. But at the same time, I think it's such a great story. Yeah. I think there's it's such a funny idea. I think they're so good with him yeah. that it's probably my favorite guest star show. Um, in spite of that. I think in terms of their performances, I think Howard Cosell is great as Howard Cosell. Um, Tony Randall once said about Howard Cosell, he really thought he could act. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it comes across, like certainly a lack of confidence on the stage is not Mr. Cosell's problem. <laughs> um, he's really good, he's, he's fun. Um, I also think um, Marilyn Horn is a surprisingly strong yeah. actress because they actually asked her to do something as opposed to most of the celebrity guests. Yeah, that's why I gave her an award, Ted. You did. I remember, oh, yes. I remember. And, and ditto Alex Karras from the other side of the yeah, aisle. No, Alex yeah, he, um, yeah. I think that they were the two celebrity guests who got to play something yeah. beyond themselves. And, and I thought they were they were really good at it. Um, the, the, uh, the character actors who were on a lot, uh, Herbie Fay. Always oh my fun. god, we forgot Herbie Fay. Yeah. No, I I I considered him actually when I was doing it. Um I forgot. I, 
but I actually had him as my runner up at one point and then I changed it to someone. So you I, know, he, he's the, also a great case for the con constancy of the apartment because he's the super either. Well, he always has a different name. But didn't you say that you said that in the Murray Wards episode. So we did bring him up. You've said that recently, Garrett. Yeah, but not in that episode. No, okay, fine. Uh, Billy Sands. I know, yeah. Really funny. I don't. Why do you, you hate Billy Sands? Because a Roger Doctor is such an irritant. <laughs> but what about wait? There's tax. Yeah. Well, the I don't. The subway, the subway right? story. Oh yeah, yeah. It's fine. I mean, or I, or, or uh, did the police know about you two? Yes, guys? It, yeah. <laughs> when when he drops the TV, I like him in those two episodes. But if he's in an right. episode where I don't like him, I can't give him an award. Right. Because Richard Stahl doesn't really have that problem. Yeah, Richard, Richard Stahl is always terrific. And, and what I love about Richard Stahl is if he has a few lines, he scores with them and he's memorable. And then when they give him a real guest star part, like in The Odd Monks, uh -huh. he's also great. Yeah, his monologue at the beginning, a story that he tells at the beginning of Odd Monks is one of my favorite like dramatic moments right. of the show. And, right, it's uh, a nice gift for him, and he really yeah. comes through. You know what's funny about him? I, I, as I've been going through the Bob Lissac book, he gives extensive biographies of so many people that we, if only I looked at, we looked at those before the podcast, <laughs> we could have saved us a lot of Googling trouble. But um, he, uh, he was a member, he started out as a member of this comedy group on the West Coast called The Committee, which also featured Carl Gottlieb, who ended up being a, a writer in season five that we talked about a lot who ended up writing Jaws. And right, Oscar in Love. Oscar in Love, right. And uh, that was, the. it's like that seemed to have been, they had a big following, it seems like on the West Coast in LA, especially uh, the committee and made me more interested to find out about them. But you, it's interesting that Richard Stahl, that was really his background as a kind of improv sketch comedy guy. Gary Marshall liked those people. It's how he found Al Molinaro. Ah. Right. He, right. Al Molinaro, I think, was in a, an improv class with Penny Marshall. Mm -hmm. and After he show. quit the real estate business, right? Al That's Molinaro's right. That's right. He, was, well, he was doing them both, I think. Yeah. And Gary Marshall liked him and said, oh, someday we'll work together. <laughs> and Al Molinaro didn't know he was a producer, so he yeah. didn't care. But he kept his word. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Richard Stahl was a big Tony Randall fan. I see. And he replaced him in Inherit the Wind. Oh, okay. And he said an interesting thing. He said, if you really like an actor as an actor, um, play some of the parts they've played. <laughs> Don't imitate them, but it'll give you a sense of why you like them. Hmm. And he said replacing Tony Randall gave him some hmm. sense of that. I wonder if he ever played Felix in some smaller stage production of... Odd couple, Richard Stahl. I could see that. I could see that. I guess, Garrett, you don't. I have no okay. Um, uh, okay, so I think you've addressed, uh, are there any of the recurring or celebrity guests you find? Maybe, I don't think you dislike anything here. Are there any ones you <laughs> don't really care for? Yeah, oh, sure. I mean, I, I don't think Richard Fredericks was great. I think it, it, it didn't feel... It didn't feel fun with him. Um, I I liked um, I liked Marilyn Horn. I didn't think that uh, Edward Valella was a great actor. Yeah. Um, and I think 
the the show suffered a little. I think sometimes with those episodes, the joke was always we're going to dress Jack Klugman up funny. <laughs> yeah, which and it's and ironically, it's actually not funny. Right. And I yeah. think that's the problem is that it all builds to this yeah. moment of Jack Klugman being out of his element. Yeah. And it's just not that great a joke. Like he just, he, he does his best, but it's not that funny. And also apparently he hated doing it too. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, yeah, well, the interesting you say about Richard Stahl is because feel Tony Randall, you've probably read this was kind of the pain of the ass on the set where Jack Klugman <laughs> seemed to be a little bit more right. going. And Richard Stahl also mounted a defense of Tony Randall for that. Oh. He said, some actors complain, oh, Randall won't let me smoke a cigarette. <laughs> but he said, but the work is good and it's professional and good things happen on the stage. So yeah, it's, it's it not seems like people were divided, right? Like the, the people who got along with Tony, you respected him. Uh, and uh, But he's also, he, was, he seems to have reciprocated people who he, he seems to have been meanest and harshest with younger performers or performance he didn't think were experienced enough uh i forget who tells the story of like you know some young actress who he thought didn't have good speech training or something you know oh Marilyn Mason, Matt Marlon Mason, Mason yeah right, Marlon yeah. Mason yeah yeah he kind of lorded his theater experience in film and he, he a very revealing Gary Marshall thing was that he noticed early on that in a way when they packaged the show Tony Randall was the star, was a bigger star in Hollywood than Jack Klugman was. And he and Randall like used that. He really wanted, he saw this as his show. He didn't, he didn't feel good about doing television. He was doing television. He admitted because he, his movie career was not going so well. Right. He saw it as a step down, which is why I think he wanted to cast Mickey Rooney. He wanted to choose the Oscar and mm -hmm. he thought Mickey Rooney would be another big star. Well, also uh, he had played it with Mickey. Right, Rooney. right. He felt he wanted to be it on his terms. Right. And, uh, and I think, you know, he, while he got along fine with Klugman, he seems to have wanted to run the show his own way a lot. We well, know Jack that Klugman tells a story about being, uh, rehearsing with him early on, <laughs> um, apropos of what you're saying. And Tony Randall would always give him notes. Yeah. <laughs> and Jack Klugman would get annoyed. And he said, Tony Randall once said, why can't I tell you when I think you're doing something wrong? <laughs> and Jack Klugman said, well, can I tell you when I think you're doing something wrong? And Tony Randall said, of course you can. <laughs> right. And he said that that was a that big was was. moment in their relationship because it was the way Tony Randall acted and it was the way Tony Randall worked, but yeah. he saw him as an equal and he yeah. was fine listening to it as well. And it can we also be, you know, people have bad days because Eleanor Donahue tells the story of her right. first day. Right where he made her cry and it was very yeah. upsetting. And then after that, they were great friends and they used to play word games and hang out on the set. And he was very nice to her for the next three years. And we played a clip, I think, of Peter Marshall telling the story that Tony Randall stepped up and helped Jack Klugman give him points from the show mm -hmm. financially. And of course, when Jack Klugman had his operation, Tony Randall was very involved. So they became very close. What? And I have to give Tony Randall credit with my, my personal Tony Randall meeting story. Ooh. He was just lovely. Tell us, help please tell us. Um, so when he started the National Actors Theater, they did a benefit performance of The Odd Couple. Right, um, yeah, which I mentioned, Ted, that I, I was able to see that, yeah. Yeah. 
And, and Jack Klugman, it was his first um, performance after his throat surgery. And so afterwards they had a, a, a gala dinner. So anyway, I was 16 years old huh. and I heard that this was happening and it's all I wanted to do in the world right, right. in a way that 16 year olds can be. And so my, my mother was very, was very generous and she got me a ticket. So I, I saw the show, which was wonderful. And I went to the dinner. And so there I am 16 years old in my rented tuxedo <laughs> with at a table with nine other all people, by yourself, all by myself. <laughs> and I was talking to the other people there and they were all titans of industry that were there because Tony Randall had hit them up for money with their companies. And so they got a table out of it. And Tony Randall, there were there were 750 people at the dinner and Tony Randall went around and met everybody. Hmm. He was your host for the evening. And he came to our table and he nodded at the, the captains of industry. And all he cared about was if I had a good time at the show. <laughs> he talked to me. He wanted to know if I liked it, what I thought. He was so happy to see me. And that, that was the time he spent at our table. Did he, did he take time to, I mean, did he acknowledge you're a 16 year old, you're a young person here by yourself. Like that's amazing. Uh, it, it seemed, it was probably the source of his interest. I see. Um, but he didn't bring it up. He didn't make an issue out of it. Okay. It was clear. It clearly delighted him that I had a good time and I was there. Um, and obviously I was there as a fan because I, I was not the CEO of something. <laughs> right. And so the, so, so it, you know, he, I'm sure like everybody, he had his good and bad days, but that was certainly a good day. And I did the coda to the story is when he was in the hospital, just before he died, I went to uh, a staged reading that the National Actors Theater did and he couldn't be there, but his wife was there. And afterwards there was a little reception and I spoke to her and I told her that story. This is the young, the, new, the new, the set, the young yes, wife, yes. Heather, second wife, Heather yeah. Arlen Randall. And she listened to the story and she laughed and she said, yeah, that's Tony. <laughs> By she the way, was not surprised that he ignored everybody else and was just interested <laughs> in whether the kid had a good time. This is what makes you a super fan. Like I was in New York, I, I, I would never have done what you did at 16 to go to some play of a show I like. Oh, oh, no, I, I heard him plugging it on The Tonight Show. Yeah, but, but you went. The fact that you did it is an example of, I think, why we're talking to you. Right. Um, do I think you have the quote is I'm not an obsessive neurotic like Felix is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I assume you would Jack Klugman did not, he probably was not interested in going meeting everybody with his voice that night. Uh he he was around. Um, I, I said hello as I was going in. He was sort of greeting people as they came. He did I not see. go around and meet every person individually. Um, but he was he was saying hello as we came. Yeah, you know, that was a, a quite a cast at that so they did i think they did two or th only two or three performances in new york oh, it was just one. Oh, okay wait you were at you, that garrett uh, yes i told you my friend i know i, I don't think but you so you two were in the same room at the same I was at the gala. no i didn't get oh, i didn't oh, well oh. i my good friend tony at the time we were we were super fans like that like we said okay we're gonna go to this is this tony and, from dalton tony yes. that i know hey we don't mention the, the name of the school. Uh, so we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, the uh, yeah, my my good friend Tony. His mom was so generous. 
and got us the tickets and we went to one of the i think there were there, there, you, there was maybe you went to the one with the dinner i guess but we just went to i just seemed to remember there were being there was like a limited number of performances and we didn't go to the dinner we just saw the show but mm. uh i remember the cast Do you remember the cast lee it was, yeah, it was uh, Abe Vigoda was Murray. Abe Vigoda was Murray. Martin, Martin Sheen, Sheen was Pete. Wow. Uh, Lynn Redgrave and Kate Nelligan were the Pigeon Sisters. Right. Wow. Yvonne Little, Little was, Roy. was Roy. And Jack Weston. Jack Weston was yeah, a good friend of, actually one of my closest uh, friends of my father, uh, got was Vinny, and so it was it was nice to see him on there. Uh, it Jack was, Weston was at the next table for me. No kidding, really. Well, I, I, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I knew you then, Lee. I could have uh, introduced you, but. It was uh, it was amazing that they got that cast together just for like they, they, it wasn't a reading they did the show they did the show yeah, yeah uh, from memory and uh, it was great I wish they filmed it uh, a couple more questions and we'll wind up do you I have uh, a question quick can I ask a question yes of course make sure that I get this in? yes yes I think Lee you 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 kind of have given us uh, an overview of your history as a fan but I just also want that more specifically it seems like you, you at some point you got to interview or meet certain writers or you just do a lot of research reading about these writers but you seem to have uh, uh, some knowledge of of either tv or comedy writers in general or or individual writers for the odd couple or maybe that's just from what you've read in in the book it's mostly just been reading i did i think we talked about lee kalchheim who wrote right. that was yeah. no lady yeah and i did um email him because he he may still have a website i believe he's still living and still he's a playwright um so i i asked him about it because i found his his website and we chatted a little bit over email um and his recollection of of writing it was that he was he was a playwright even then but his agent wanted him to write more tv because it was financially lucrative and it would get him out there but he would only write the shows he liked. So he liked All in the Family and he did a couple of those, I think one of which won an Emmy and he liked The Odd Couple, so he did that one. Um, and there were one or two others, but um, mostly he, he didn't go into television um, in spite of what his agent was, was asking him to do. Uh, but no, mo mostly it's just been reading about it or watching interviews. Do you watch, have you watched Quincy? Yeah, I'm a big Quincy fan. That, oh. When you do your Quincy podcast, yeah. that's where your Eddie Garrett award should be. Okay. Yeah, right. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's really had a major recurring. Yes. Role. Oh, he's in yeah. Quincy too. Oh, he's in Quincy, and he's he's like a speaking role. Oh. It's not like the Odd Couple. No, he. I mean, it's not a big speaking role, but he's like the third most common, or well, not third, but after the main five kind of characters uh, after or for the sport besides jack klugman he's like the next one um so he's, he's the in photographer it. for yeah. the coroner's office he's a crime so he is forever uh, saying got it quince yeah <laughs> quincy yeah. shows up and says we need extra photographs of the blood spatter <laughs> yeah got it quince that was his line for seven years but yeah but he was there he was there in almost all of them huh. yeah um, and what are your, so I think we haven't talked, we should talk about this. What are your favorite Murray and Myrna, Myrna I don't know why I always say Myrna, Myrna, either scenes or episodes? Oh, Murray. Um, if you can narrow it down to one. Right. If I can narrow it down to one. Okay. I think. And if you can't just say whatever. I, I think certainly to. the sight gag to which you gave the award. Oh, the, of, of the, the peephole yeah is is the most instantly recognizable and funny uh murray moment 
if, if I if I had to pick one moment. Um, I also love um, when he tells them off. Yeah, and, uh -huh. uh, old flames never die. Yeah, I had that. I almost gave my word of that. Yep, it's great. And 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 the punchline is only again because of the character after he leaves when yeah, being says, told off by Murray. Told off by Murray, which <laughs> yeah. is a great joke because yeah. of five years of who Murray. Yeah, is. Um, and and I think the best episode that featured him is probably Murray the Fink. I yeah. like. The best. I, I know they were pushing the Murray who came to dinner because that's really his story. Um, but it, it's he's good in it, but it's not my favorite story. I yeah, think Murray, Murray think it's a really good one, and it's, it's a really good season two episode early. And it's got a court scene. It's the yeah, first court the first scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when he comes in and he said, "What you're doing is good, Murray." And how Klugman keeps going for his throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he does the he does the invitation of him after he leaves. Right. Oh, he <laughs> me on the back. <laughs> and it's great because it's perfect, Murray, because right. it's it's lovable and it's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just the Murray that that I like to think about. And apparently Tony Randall said to him at one point early on, You're doing something that was never in the play, right. but yeah. it's good. So keep doing it. You're doing good. You're doing good. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What you're doing is good, yeah. My star told me what you're doing is good, Al. <laughs> and what about Myrna? Um, she's great in uh, the, in your favorite episode. Um, gotta, gotta be, be me. yeah. Um, where yeah. she brings them to group therapy, right. um, and she says this is a lot like group therapy, only nobody gets better. <laughs> um, she's great in that. Um, she's really funny in the first one, uh, that she did, uh, you saved my life. Yeah. Right. Um, which was supposed to just be a one-off, um, mm -hmm. in the second year. And you can see why Jack Klugman wanted to bring her back because she's really funny. Yeah. Um, and, and you get why she's perfect as his secretary. Yeah. What's great about Penny Marshall is that she fits so well with who Oscar's secretary should be. <laughs> uh, and the other, the other one I love her in, well, the two where I think she gives the best performances are That Was No Lady. Because, oh, with Alex Karras, yeah. Yeah, she's so freaked out by him. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't want to offend him. You can yeah. see that she's trying to do her job, but she's also really terrified of him. And uh, two on the aisle, I think, because in the, the scene where, <laughs> where Oscar wants to confess, you're my favorite author, Mr. <laughs> what were you ashamed of me before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she, she's reluctant to let him confess because she doesn't want him to be diminished in her eyes. Um, and again, I know that there are the two episodes that focus on Myrna, um, Myrna's debut with the tap uh -huh. dancing and the rain in Spain. Yeah. And, and, you know, I like them, particularly the latter one, but, but I think, Sometimes she shined best in support. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Karen, anything else you want to, we could talk forever, but at some point we need to put out a, a podcast that isn't five hours long. <laughs> I, I uh, see by the old shadow on the floor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, look at the time. I see the clock with the, oh, I can't do the visual, but yeah. It's uh, three dots uh, over. Garrett, any final questions, words? Uh, no, just uh, thank you, Lee, for your, 
your support of the podcast yes. in, in many ways and uh, being an interlocutor of ours throughout. Whoa, that's some <laughs> word. <laughs> Bringing out the $5 words here. Uh, uh, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, it's, it's not always easy to find people to sort of hang out with and talk about a, a show that's over 50 years old. And listening to the podcast, it was it's, uh, it was like like you're deceased. It's it's always <laughs> like like spending time with people who are fun and really love the show and talk about it the way fans like to talk about it. So it's I've looked forward to it every week. So I'm glad that you did it. Thank you so much. We appreciate yeah. that. And that's why we wanted to do it. We did think there was some group out there. Only we did it for us. Something to do during COVID. Honestly, it started because I couldn't find one. And if you can't do, you know, if you can't, what's the phrase? If you can't do it yourself, do you, uh, whatever. If anyway. you can't something, do it yourself. Yeah, right. I think it uh, used to be write the book you want to read, but this is the yeah, podcast right. version. Uh, so, and, you know, finding people like you is part of the kind of the upside and the, and the you know, what we, what, you know, in our mind would be the kind of the fun things that can happen. So it's great that, uh, that you like it and that, and that we could interact. Um, all right. So we will, uh, wrap this up and we'll be back we're good we have more things to do odd couple related and uh we're, and... we're gonna stretch it out somehow yeah yeah <laughs> make it last <laughs>